You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we got the A-Dog in the house, Andy Cole. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Last but not least, not to be forgotten, Laddie is back day two of the Laddie return experience. Greg Ballack is here on the boards. Good morning, Gregory. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Your microphone. Go. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We are back to normal, everybody. The kids are going back to school. We're getting back into the swing of things. We have a big show ahead. A lot to get into from last night. A lot to look into forward to for today's show. We are going to start our guest rundown 6.30, Daniel Nugent Bowman. He of the hyphenated surname is going to join us. He, of course, is an Edmonton Oilers beat reporter for The Athletic. We will talk to him, of course, Jason, about the big news of the day, and that is Jason Demers getting a PTO with the Oilers. Oh, yeah, and, and, and some other guy. What was his name? There I is another remember. There's another can't remember. I can't remember. Jake Burr something? No, it's Burr. Jake Furtanen. Jake Furtanen. We will talk to Daniel Nugent Bowman. He wrote an article after Vertanen met with the media yesterday, uh, shortly after signing a PTO with the Oilers. Uh, was met with a lot of scrutiny locally. All of the Edmonton writers, they managed to pick up on it, and they subsequently wrote their pieces. I, I, I've read a few pieces, I have to admit. I've read a few pieces out of Edmonton, and they're like, he's going to bring some truculence. I'm like, you haven't watched him. Even the ones that are carrying the most water for the Oilers are like, I'm not so sure about this one. They're trying to find, you know what they're all doing, is they're trying to find that one glimmer of hope or excuse or reason to understand it. Yeah. So many of the questions are, why are the Oilers doing this? Which I love are... the comparisons to Cassian, too. Maybe he's like Cassian. Uh, Cassian. <laughs> Cassian's always been a tough customer. Cassian yeah. hits people. Yeah. He does Cassian stuff. fights. Not by accident. Yeah, not by accident. Yeah. yeah. So we'll have this conversation with Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic at 6 37 o'clock. Uh, first time guest on the Halford and Bruff show. Very happy to have him. Newly minted BC Lions starting quarterback and winning quarterback Vernon Adams Jr. is going to be on the program. He has bounced around. Like, he even kind of bounced around in college, which is pretty rare because he went to uh, Eastern Washington for a few years um, and then spent his final year of eligibility at the University of Oregon. Mm -hmm. I actually want to kind of... Talk to him about that, just as an aside. Obviously, we're going to talk to him about coming to the BC Lions, the big win over the Stampeders, um, the rematch with the Stampeders on on Saturday. But that must have been quite an experience, going to a pretty small school for three years, Eastern Washington, and then transferring to Oregon. And, And if I recall correctly, the year he was there, he had some injury issues early on, but the Ducks were a national title contender. Like mm-hmm. he, he, so he went from a small school that not many people know about to to uh, to you know playing at Otson Stadium and for sixty. Down there? No, no, I, I, I went I, to a game a yeah. few years ago. Uh, it's crazy it, though. It's staggering the size yeah. and scope of the facility because mm-hmm. they have a an entire second domed. 
field. Yeah. That is just gargantuan. It's all Nike money that's flowing through there, should, right? But should it is we, crazy. Should we ask him? I have, I've always kind of wanted to ask guys in the CFL this question, especially the ones that went to major colleges down south. Is it an adjustment to turn pro and play in front of smaller crowds? Yeah, that would. Yeah, because we kind of had that conversation when we had Drawn Carter on the yeah. show way back when, back when we were 1040. Because we asked him, well, he, he didn't really play at Alabama. Right. He kind of was there and then redshirted and then was gone. But he played under Nick Saban, right? And he was like, yeah, it's, you know, 90, 100,000 yeah. people on a Saturday. It's, I mean, you don't even get NFL crowds that big. Because I, uh, I was looking at the schedule that Vernon Adams played that year in, in Oregon. And, and I, he was hurt for a few of them, so I, I don't know which game specifically he played. But he obviously played down in Oregon um, at Autzen Stadium, which is – like one of the loudest stadiums, despite only being 60,000 yep. in, in college football. He played a game of Husky Stadium. I think they went on the road to Michigan State as well. So, like, he played in front of some big crowds. And now he's got a chance to exact revenge on the Calgary Stampeders this week. In front of a big crowd. That's right. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. is going to be at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Thomas Drantz, a.k.a. the Drantzer. Lots to get into with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, young stars in the books. Milford in the books. Uh, medical testing gets underway on Wednesday and Thursday before camp kicks off in Whistler. Uh, there's one word that I think is going to be echoed through the halls at Rogers Arena, and then it's going to echo all the way up to Whistler for training camp when it pertains to the Canucks. Culture. Yeah, there's a lot of culture talk, and, and I'm, I'm always uh, – I, I have mixed feelings about culture because sometimes I think it's brought up as um, – just like a buzzword that people don't really put much thought into. It's almost like a hashtag on Twitter. Yep. You know what I'm Catch talking all. about? Like yeah, a yeah. hashtag. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and sometimes it's used when to describe a team that on paper just isn't very good, right? I, I remember for years they would talk about the culture in Edmonton. And I'd be like, you guys don't have any centers or defensemen. This is obviously pre-McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's your issue. It's yep. not culture. I think it's very relevant for the Canucks this season because on paper, even though their defense is questionable, on paper it's 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 there's a, it's a talented team, and I've said this before, right? Like, look at what you can list off. You got a good goalie, you got one of the best young defensemen in the game. Up front is where there's a whole collection of talent: Pedersen, Horvat, Miller. You know, I haven't even mentioned the wingers, right? Like the team on paper has talent, but I think there has been a culture issue in Vancouver. Um, and culture goes away when you have a bunch of losing seasons. Yeah. And when you lose, it, the, the Canucks culture even suffered while the Sedins were still there. And because and, I just think they started, they started doing things that the team previously wouldn't have done, if that makes sense. Forcing young players into the lineup before they were ready. Maybe getting away from some of the things that they did when they were a successful team. They've got to find that again. And the culture has to be carried by the young players. Uh, so 8 o'clock, Thomas Trance to talk a little culture. He's going to do it for the culture. 7 o'clock, Vernon Adams Jr. 6.30, Daniel Nugent Bowman. That's the guest rundown. Uh, tonight, it's a baseball night. It's a quiet night on the sporting landscape. you got the Jays beginning a series with the Phillies. The Mariners... The Mariners going to blow this. Uh, they are starting a series with the A's, so that's going to get underway later. That's what's happening on the program. Laddie, A-Dog, let's tell everybody what happened. 
Did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? Let's begin last night. Monday night football, plural, footballs. There was two games last night in the NFL. Two blowout, blowout victories. Uh, we will begin with Buffalo. The story of the night, really. Monday night football in Buffalo. Bills Mafia. Josh Allen, four touchdown passes, three of them to Stephon Diggs. Bills roll past the Tennessee Titans, who are a disaster, by the way. 41-7 to in their home opener. Somehow, the Bills managed to look better, I would say, in week two than they did in an opening night week one victory in Los Angeles against the defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, an impressive performance from the Bills there. An impressive performance, obviously, from Allen and Diggs through the air. Defense did its job. The Titans, I don't really spend a lot of time on this show breaking down Tennessee's football fortunes, but this is a team that a year ago was a playoff team. Now they're off to an 0-2 start. They lost to a bad Giants team and then just got exposed, losing by 34 points, failing to cover the 34-point spread in Buffalo last night. They're actually, I made a poll question all on my own. I didn't even check with you. I just made it. Yeah, I don't think your poll question is going to get much attention. You're just but, interested but it's in a, it for yourself. But it's a good poll question. Poll it's, it's okay. Uh, which 0-2 like, team? Which 0-2 like, team? Cares. Which 0-2 team is got the best chance to make the NFL playoffs? The only reason I bring this up is because there's three teams right now that are 0-2 that were in the playoffs last year, including the defending I just want to point AFC out this champions. is exactly what you predicted. I was I like, I got a poll question, Andy. And you're going to post it, and Bruff is not going to like it. No, he's not going to discuss it. I don't. I, it's, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I'm completely indifferent to it. That's fair. Yeah. You snored during the middle of me reading it. That yeah, that's my indifference. That made, that's, that's my indifference. Indif- I don't think that's indifference. Sure it is. I just fell asleep during This is it. like you using culture inappropriately right now. <laughs> anyway, we make, can check make, out the poll question later. There's a bunch of stuff. Make me interested in it. There's a bunch of stuff happening right now. We yeah. should probably get to this. Uh, two of the more recognizable. No, let's discuss the Bengals' chances of recovering from 0-2. Well, that wasn't the poll question. There was three teams. Tennessee is one of those oh, teams let's, as well. Oh, let's discuss them. And don't forget about Vegas. Oh, those plucky Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. Um, there's two noteworthy retirements in the NHL. Very rarely do we get breaking news. Don't bother playing the button. Very rarely do we, he reached for it too. Very was rarely, on the trigger. <laughs> very rarely do we get breaking news in the morning. Two of the most recognizable defensemen of the last decade, two of the most decorated ones, have announced their retirement this morning. Uh, we got news before we got in that Zdeno Chara, after I think 35, 40 years in the NHL, has finally decided to call it quits. He's signing a one-day deal with the Boston Bruins. I thought he'd sign with the Capitals, but lo and behold, he'll he'll retire a Boston Bruin. And now we're getting word across. Our screens that P.K. Subban is also going to announce or has announced his retirement from the game. Uh, obviously, there were some ties to a number of markets. I think we kind of shoehorned in Subban as a maybe he could fit here kind of type guy for Vancouver. Obviously, never panned out. I did notice last week at the NHL's media tour, the COO, Steve Mayer, did an interview. And he was actually singing Subban's praises about all the things that they had planned for him from a media perspective. So maybe that made the decision and not return to the NHL a lot easier for Subban. But on a pretty eventful Tuesday morning, Subban and Chara retire. The biggest difference between Subban and Chara, uh, their age. Chara is 45. That's crazy. crazy. Subban's just 33. I know. Like, that's crazy, too. Yes. You know, Walking away at 33 when, yeah, when you look at someone who's played well into their 40s. Now, obviously, Mm -hmm. Chara's a bit of an anomaly, I would say. Not many guys can do that, but... 
Um, but how many Norris Trophy defensemen have retired at 33? 33, That's 33, Is it right? safe, to, safe to assume Subatin's going to go straight into a really successful broadcasting career? Probably, Because I can yeah. just imagine that's going to happen I mean, he's, ASAP. Yeah, he's going to be uh, – he's, he's not going to walk away. Yeah. Right, like mm-hmm. he, he, you'll, you'll, his, his profile might even rise. Yeah, like considering the last few years, he's just kind of, um, he's really struggled on the ice. Um, I, I don't know if it was a, an injury that he had or, you know, Father Time just treats players differently, treats people differently. Um, even even athletes that keep themselves in really good shape, sometimes your your body just betrays you. Um, it's, it's hard to explain. It's why signing players to long-term contracts, um, that started around the age of 30 is a risk. Um, I don't want to shoehorn JT Miller into this discussion, but it is, but here we are, but here we are. Um, Zidane Char for me, um, and for most people that know anything about hockey, one of the greatest defensemen ever. This guy was an absolute beast. And um, if we're gonna, if we're gonna, oh. you know, um, again to use the shoehorn analogy, if we're gonna shoehorn the Canucks into it, was there any defenseman that was like a worse matchup for the Sedins than Zidane Chara? Because the way you beat Zidane Chara is with speed, and the Sedins didn't necessarily have that. He had that long reach, and it, it was he was just he was just tough to play against, man. He was such a good player for the Bruins, uh-huh. such a good player, and I mostly think about him as a Bruin. I, I know he he spent time and you know he was a good player for for Ottawa as well. Islanders, but, yeah, was he a player then? Though well, he bookended his, career he was then. such a project right? when uh, early on. No, I know he yeah. he finished, but uh, you know, um, you know he really came into his own uh, with the Sens and then with the Bruins. He was a force out there, an absolute force. And uh, really took care of himself. Uh, to, as he got older, he, cha- he changed his diet. Um, wasn't he uh, vegan at, by the end of it? Yeah. He yeah. Had, well, that's what a lot of people kind of uh, correlated his longevity to, was that he was one of those guys that, remember, he used to bike to practice all the time. Yeah. And he was really into making sure that his body was in peak physical form. So he could play to 45 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a remarkable total. Crazily enough, if you had to guess off the top of your head, you maybe know this already, um, Norris trophies for each. One for Subban. Uh-huh. I want to say one for Chara. That's it, just yeah. the one for Chara. Again, you uh, talk it's about... It's hard when you play in the Lidstrom era, right? Well, yeah, because it's funny. The the It went, if you want to go cr- in chronological order, 09, Chara, 10, mm-hmm. Keith, 11... Lidstrom won the last one. Yeah, at forty years old, and well, then you... wasn't that wasn't that when he had a, had a minus plus minus? Yeah, and they just this was like the it was no, the... I'm not saying that plus minus is like no, a, like I know the Red Wings weren't as good a team. It was kind of like one of those Vezinas that they give Broder at the end. It's like the career achievement award. Like you know what? Just put it on the mantle yeah. with the rest of them. Totally screwed Luongo out of his. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what happened, right? I mean, someone more deserving might have got it yeah. instead of Nick Lidstrom getting his nineteenth Norris. At age 40. But should, then. Should also mention Keith Yandel retired too. Yeah, well, that one just came across the, the desk as well, courtesy of the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. So Yandel, formerly the Iron Man in the NHL, Chara Subban, two Norris Trophy winning defensemen. Chara, mm-hmm. obviously a Stanley Cup winner. Who has the Iron Man right now? Is it still Yandel? Who has Kessel. The, Kessel? Yeah. Ke- <laughs> 
My man Phil. I forgot about that. I saw him. Speaking at the, of peak physical condition, yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about Phil Kessel's going to play till he's fifty. Mm-hmm. You all watch. Like with this, he's in that dry Vegas air now. It's going to be good for his bones. Yeah, going to be this good. is this is going to be his last season. No, way. <laughs> it will. He's going to stand the test of time. Season. Should mention too, with the retirement of Chara, one player left in the league now drafted in the nineties, and that would be Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton's. Not anywhere he's, right now. Still free. He's still he hasn't technically around. retired yet. Yeah, I saw him doing some sort of like CrossFit workout yesterday on Twitter. He was swinging around the kettlebell and doing lots of lunges. Looks like he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, that's an interesting morning for sure. It kind of derailed the NFL conversation. We only got through really a little bit of the Bills game. Really quickly, you can mention the Eagles victory yesterday because you brought this up as we walked in. What a weekend for former Alabama quarterbacks. Yeah. Mac Jones got a victory, but he goes third (laughs) in the list here. Tua Tungavailoa has a tremendous Sunday for the Miami Dolphins, and then Jalen Hurts is like, oh, yeah, watch this. Now, obviously not the statistical benchmarks that Tua had, but a lot of people in the aftermath said that was his breakout game. He had 301 total yards in the first half last night. Philly all over Minnesota, 24-7 on Monday Night Football. Uh, This is an interesting game because – he hurts is basically trying to do what two is trying to do. Prove that he's not just a starting caliber quarterback, but also a guy that can really win games for you. Yeah. As opposed to maybe go out and manage. He looked terrific last night. I want to play some audio from Frank Saravalli. Um, some of you will have already heard it. Um, it relates to the Bo Horvat contract negotiations. And of course, Mike and I have both kind of suggested that we think it's possible that Horvat gets signed this week if only because training camp starts in a few days. And, you know, the word distraction gets thrown around as much as culture sometimes, and it gets thrown around without thought sometimes. Oh, it's going to be a distraction, and then people on, well, only if the media makes it a distraction. You know, sometimes it is a distraction, sometimes it isn't. I, I normally don't like using it as an excuse to drum up the feelings of the fan base or anything like sure. that. But I do feel and I and I'm not I'm I'm honestly not trying to make something out of nothing here. I, I do feel like this year, way more than usually, the Canucks really need to have a training camp where they're all on the same page, where everyone is focused because they have to get off to a good start. No one's passing out in the corner. That's important. Just no contract, anything, no, you know, not getting along with the coach, no, like, no distractions. Mm-hmm. Just go in there as a team, everyone on the same page, learn any potential system changes, get going right in the preseason, don't have anything hanging over the group. And yet, according to Frank Saravalli, the Bo Horvat contract negotiations haven't been going so well. I think the issue is, and it's always hard to parse out these details because, you know, first off they change and and there's always a lot of hearsay, but some of the rumblings that came out from these talks as they got started was that, forget seven, the Canucks initial proposition or, or, uh, volley towards the Horvat camp was a number that started with a five. So I think that's part of where the friction comes in that I was talking about. Maybe a little bit of a feel like, you know, disrespect that that's 
not sort of how Bo Horvat saw himself and his position in the league, and, and understandably so. And so that's been a big, you know, bone of contention here in the last number of weeks that this isn't exactly, you know, all lovey-feely as you get close to training camp. It's, it hasn't been great. I do have to wonder how Bo Horvat has felt while the whole city has been debating JT Miller's contract situation, um, and he's been in essentially the, the exact same contract situation, uh-huh. right? One year until unrestricted free agency. Now, JT Miller obviously isn't in that position anymore. He almost got to 100 points last season. Bo Horvat did not. Uh-huh. I know he had 31 goals. He only had 21 assists. He's one of those centermen that's probably a better goal scorer than a playmaker. Um, he's a very important part of their power play. He's often the trigger man in the slot there. He had 13 power play goals. 31 total, though. And 31 goals, regardless of how you get them, it's a lot of goals in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Not as much as it was maybe 10 years ago <laughs> since, since scoring has gone up. Rocket Richard trophy with yeah. 37. <laughs> yeah, he might have. Uh, but 31 goals, you're the captain of the team. Um, you would be tempted maybe to feel a little disrespected if the first contract offer to you, even though it is a negotiation, was at, at, at near the exact same cap hit that you have right now. Like yeah. Horvat's cap hit right now is in the fives. If that offer came in in the fives, you'd be like, uh, I feel feel like I should get a raise at least. Right. I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, th- that is how a negotiation works, right? Is your starting point is never your end point. You're obviously going to come up off that number. The Canucks know that better than anybody. If you, it's funny when you, you actually see it play out in real time when Elliot Friedman tweets out the uh, the arbitration and they're like, this is what they're offering and this is what they're offering and this is what, the, you know, there's a, usually a sizable gap between what the two sides want. And they usually end up meeting in the middle. I think the key to all of this, and you pointed it out quite astutely over the course of the last couple of weeks, don't go into training camp with anything hanging over your head. Don't have anything unresolved. Don't have a contract hanging in the balance. Don't have distractions. None of it, especially with your captain. Now, based on what Frank said, does it sound like the deal will get done this week? Things change in an instant. But especially things with also, the Canucks. But things also get dragged out because, remember, training camp becomes leverage. It always becomes leverage for someone, and it depends on who utilizes it best. I mean, we saw it last year with the sort of mini holdouts with Pedersen and Hughes is that every day that they weren't there was another day that they're yeah. not This would be far different team. leverage. I exactly. mean, Horvat's under contract this season, so it would be far different leverage, but it is leverage in the way that I'm sure Horvat's camp knows that the Canucks would probably like to get something done. Right, and you can leverage it by saying something like, uh, once training camp opens, I'm not going to negotiate any further. There's a yep. deadline that yep. we're going to do that. There's a deadline that we're not going to have these talks anymore. I don't want it to be a distraction. Mm-hmm. You do the Johnny Gaudreau from last year. Well, Didn't talk about it at all during the year. Remember and that he was, left. That was that was um, what the JT Miller camp was hinting at before he had signed his contract extension. Mm-hmm. Of the very little we got in terms of actual news of the JT Miller negotiations, one of the things that came out was that JT Miller's camp was going to say, you know, once we get to camp, we're not talking about this anymore. We're not talking extension. Mm -hmm. Now, how long would that last? If it lasts the whole season, if you say, I'm not talking at at all during the entire season, including at the trade deadline. Yeah. 
Which is why, again, but, I look at it like this, and I'm like, they, they, it's such a bad idea to let it get ex- extrapolated out like that. Like, I really do feel like they will get a deal done. But, I, you know, as Frank alluded to there, what he's hearing is that it's not that close. It's also your captain, right? There's a, there's a certain symbolism there. With If you're talking about culture and camaraderie and everyone's doing the same things. You know, Petey was at to ask yesterday about culture, and he talked about uh, everyone already did their bike test. It's like, hey, they have submitted yeah. their homework early because they're so keen to get get on get on board here. The captain's a very big focal point of that. <laughs> we got a text in here. Why should we listen to insiders anymore? None of them had JT Miller re-signing. Since management change, it seems insiders have no inside scoops on this franchise. Well, Halford and I have no inside scoops because we're not insiders. Uh, but one thing that insiders like Elliot Friedman have acknowledged, first of all, he acknowledged that he didn't have the JT Miller signing. But the way he explained it, and I buy his explanation, is that the Canucks just changed tack. They just went, all right, we're going to get this done. Mm-hmm. They decided we're going to get this done. They they looked at their um, alternatives. They looked at the market for players like JT Miller, and they said, all right, guys, over these next few days, we're getting a JT Miller thing done. And remember uh, what JT Miller's agent said. He said the Canucks in the last few days, quote-unquote, stepped up. Yeah. So will the Canucks, quote-unquote, step up this week and get a Bo Horvat done, deal done? Uh, Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern wide range of colors, including the dental green that Russell Wilson was wearing the other week. Uh, Blackandlee.com is the website. Check them out. I don't know if they have that exact tuxedo, but go to their website. Maybe they do. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Daniel Nugent Bowman. We're going to go to Edmonton to talk about the Oilers. A very busy and eventful day yesterday. Oilers met with a lot of scrutiny after signing Jake Vertanen to a PTO. Vertanen met with the media yesterday. We'll talk to Daniel Nugent Bowman about all that. It's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the you the best. Halford and Bruff. Thirty-three on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better. North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. All right. Jamming out here on a big band Tuesday. Talking Canucks. Just a handful of days away from the start of training camp. Then the start of the preseason. Hockey is back in a major way. Now, yesterday was the Milford. The MILF, as they call it. Oh, no. They don't call it that. <laughs> I, I think they do. I got the MILF. Just going to... Their marketing team is like, why do people not like this? I don't understand. <laughs> ah, great. yes. An annual event. 
the MILF. No, the Jake Milford Golf Tournament. That's the unofficial kickoff to all of this. The young guys come back from young stars, and the vets go and play around at golf and meet with the media, and then everything gets underway. Apparently, bike testing is already underway, in case you're wondering about that. They actually had to ride their bikes to the MILF. That was it. Bike to the MILF. So we are calling it the MILF. Nah, uh, <laughs> it's gonna stick. Uh, I don't know. It might be one of those things that doesn't. Until we last. get told not to. Yeah. Much, like, <laughs> Please you guys stop not? calling it that. Yeah. Could you call it anything other than that? Call it the Ford. <laughs> okay. Uh, we talked about Quinn Hughes a lot in the previous segment. I don't want to overstate the importance of him to the team and this year to him, but I feel as though we are on the precipice of something very interesting at play here. One, very clear that they've challenged him to do more to be more than just this. And uh, again, tremendous defenseman, best defenseman on the team, highest scoring defenseman in club history. It's almost comical that they'd be like, can you do more for us there, Quinn? And he's like, yeah, I could probably do some other things. But the reality is, is when you go around the NHL, uh, there is a certain bar, and we talked about setting a bar and where it needs to be, of what the elite defenseman, the best defenseman in the game are and who they are. And then the conversation starts with Kale McCarr, and then you go from there. This would be the year that Hughes legitimately enters that conversation if he's able to achieve and attain all the things and all the goals that have been put in front of him. So, for example, one of the things that he dropped with Fridge and Merrick last week on the 32 Thoughts podcast, I thought it was really interesting, was that he was handed a statistic where they said, look at Roman Yossi's shot total from last year. He took 100 more shots on goal than you did. Yeah. And it, Hughes said that kind of blew his mind a little bit. He's just going to be forcing pucks I, uh, from the blue yeah. line. That wasn't the shot. Five I, on three, Quinn Hughes wrists one on net. I mean, here's the thing. You look at the goal total last year, and he was at eight. There were three defensemen in the NHL that had 20-plus, and those guys are kind of the three, the big three. It's McCarr, yeah. Yossi, and Hedman. I think the understanding there is you probably have more opportunities. Like Hughes does not have an electrifying shot. No. However... One thing he is good at is walking the blue line and getting mm-hmm. pucks on net. doesn't have to be a, a complete howitzer. But I do wonder if they look at that and say, here is a specific area of your game where we think that you can do more. And I would then say they go fi- from there. I, I would hope five on five, actually, more than the power play. Because I'm, yeah. sure, I'm not sure I want Quinn Hughes as thinking like shot, 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 shot. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not the coach of the Canucks, but you know, walking the blue line – yeah, it opens up shooting lanes. You know what else it does? It opens up passing lanes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and you've got some really good snipers on the Canucks power play. Yeah. Um, I, I think your whole point is just that the Canucks expect Quinn Hughes to grow into – just grow, I yeah. guess. Not not physically, but more in, into a more mature player. And, 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 it, and it's funny because he's only 22 still. You know who's older than him? Jack Rathbone. Yeah. Right? Which is kind of a funny dynamic. But I would also think that Quinn Hughes is probably going to be, or the Canucks would like him to be a role model for Jack Rathbone, who's trying to make it into the NHL Mm -hmm. and has some of the similar attributes to Quinn Hughes uh, as a player. Um, When young players and the Canucks are going to hopefully find some more young players over the years, walk into a dressing room and see the likes of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, they should be impressed at how they carry themselves. And isn't that what so many people said about the Sedins? Mm -hmm. How many times do you think we heard 
whether it's a player, young, old, coach, general manager, whoever, even opponent, said the most impressive thing about the Sedins is how they carry themselves, how they go about things every day. And culture is not about making a big speech every once in a while that rallies the troops. It is about setting expectations for how you go about things on a day-to-day basis. I'm almost sounding like Torts here because remember Torts was like, you know, he would use like that phrase like how we go about our business. Mm -hmm. And it was such a Torts thing, but it's also so true. It 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 it, it kind of reminds me of um, it's weird, but remember the chat we had about the BC Lions about how they're going to get back into um, a big part of the market. It, it it's not going to be having that big concert in week one and right. getting like it's going to just be every day. You do things, mm-hmm. and it starts with winning, but it also starts with marketing. It starts with getting out in the community. It's a consistency of effort. It's a consistency of expectations. And I think when we talk to the veteran players or the players that were on those good 2011 teams, they said there was just an expectation that we we like about how we did things. And if we lost a game, we didn't go out at night. Right. Right, they were pissed Be- off because we were upset mm-hmm. and we didn't feel like going out at night. Yeah, and it and it wasn't one of those things where we're like, "Well, ah, we lost again, whatever." Right, you and know, that, well, it was that, like that we had a we had a big goal in mind, mm-hmm. and that's the off ice part of culture. It's a big part of it, right? I mean, you talk to the and it doesn't look the same for every team. I think we should point that out. Right, there's teams that uh, maybe there you know there was an accountability where after a game they all did go out. But then if one of them showed up in the morning and was dogging it, that's when the lesson would be. Like, it, it comes in different forms. The idea is, though, is that uh, there's a handful of guys who either through personality or ability are the bar setters. And it has to be that way. You can't be your team's best player and then take a step back and say, well, I'm not going to be the one that's going to be a leader here. It's foisted upon you. It's one of the great boulders of responsibility when you're a great player, right? Great power, great responsibility. And it's how you address it and approach it that's the important thing. Now, here's a tiny thing with Hughes that could end up being a pretty significant thing. The sw- playing the right side of the defense. It's not so much from an X's and O's thing. If you want to take it in the way of you know being a culture setter and setting the tone, um, I think Hughes is pretty cognizant of the fact that the Canucks' right side of the defense is a little weak. Maybe he's listened to this show. We tend to talk about it from time to time, right? <laughs> he went to management and to the coaching staff and put the ask out there. Get me some reps on the right side. I think I can do this. He worked on it in the summer a little bit. Small thing, but a big addition in terms of I'm willing to help out the team. I want to make this team better. I, you know, If we can't go and find a right-sided defenseman, I'll go be the right-sided yeah. defenseman. A little thing could be a big thing. We got the audio here. I think we spliced a couple clips together. Again, all the talk about Hughes going to the right side. Here might be the most important part of it is that he was the one that offered it up. Yeah, for me, I just think that um, it's good to know how to do both. And uh, I think that it gives the coaching staff another option if they want to use me on the right side in the O zone or wherever it might be. It started off not as uh, playing right, but just like if I wanted to play in the O zone for a shift here with O, that I could play right. And um, I think that I started to work in the summer on some dif- uh, different packages, and I think there's more things I can do offensively on the blue line on the right side. Sometimes I find myself stationary, 
um, on the left. But what I do know is that uh, Luke Shen was a really good D partner for me last year. He stabilized my game in a lot of ways, and he shuts down the cycle. And um, I know that you know if I'm playing with him this year, I'm going to have a really good year, and we'll both have good years. And if they want to play me on the right side, I can do that as well. So I know I got um, some really good options, and at the end of the day, it'll be up to the coaching. Yeah, it's probably tougher in the neutral zone where I'm um, collecting a pass like this, and I can't just go up the wall. Like obviously, I'm going to be on my back end, but. Um, I think in other aspects, um, seeing everything on my forehand, being in the ozone, being able to take a step and take a slap shot, walk into it. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone's seen me on the right side, so they don't know what to expect. I think I could catch some people off guard, but um, we'll see. I'd definitely like to try it out for a couple exhibition games, but like I said, um, I'm lucky I got really good options in Luke and uh, whoever I would play with on the right side, and, you know, we'll see what happens. When it comes to Luke Shen, I, I think we all like Luke Shen as, as, as a person and, and a player and what he represents. And he's a big part of culture and, and, you know, his willingness to stick up for teammates and his willingness to play a physical game. But I also think we all know that he's, you know, if, he, if he's in your top four, eh, that's probably not ideal. Right. I'd love to see Luke Shen with Jack Rathbone on a third pairing. Right. You know, doesn't that make sense? You get sense? the same mentorship program that Quinn Hughes got. Like, look, Hughes played with him when he broke in. Now it, you get to. Now isn't you get it to just a him. good fit? Yeah, it is. Right? Yeah. I think. I think potentially. I think Shen probably really leans into those ideas too. Right? Then like, Dermot, Dermot Myers. Dermot Myers is that the second pair? Um. Well, depending on Pullman. I mean, Pullman's yeah. a yeah, wild true. card, right? Pullman's yeah. a big wild card. There's, there's, there's seven defensemen. One of them's going to be an odd man out. Uh, now let's assume and hope that Tucker Pullman's healthy mm-hmm. and he's ready to go. It could possibly start the season with Luke Shen as a healthy scratch. Yeah, right. That's, like that—that's that in the is, realm of that possibility. Is fully, yeah. fully possible. Um, and Bruce Boudreau was talking yesterday about all the different line combinations that he could put together. I'm sure it's the same on defense, right? Yeah, you, you can make a case for uh, like like Hughes. Uh, OEL and Myers are probably not going to be healthy scratches, right? That's a fair assessment. The other four, you know, Travis Dermott, it's not like he's established himself in the NHL as an everyday regular. I mean, there was a reason he was available from Toronto. Yep. Um, And then you've got Pullman, who is a wild card health-wise. But also, there's another guy that doesn't have to be into the in the lineup, even if he's healthy. Of the yeah. three, Shen's my favorite. To be honest, <laughs> I, I, I really like Luke Shen. Oh, yeah. who doesn't like Luke Shen? He's awesome, right? Who does? Okay, well, you know, for what he is, the package yeah. is. Who doesn't awesome. like Luke? Luke Shen? Shen's package is awesome. What he brings, <laughs> I mean, but no, he's got like he, he's he's redefined himself after being kind of identified as like a first round bust that couldn't play in the NHL. He's found a way to survive in a league that's changed out from under him when a mm-hmm. lot of slow-footed defensemen just went into oblivion. And he's emerged as a guy that all his teammates love. And he's the Canucks' toughest player by like yeah, a quarter and, mile. And he can scrap, right? <laughs> Guys, fans especially, are going to love that. And it, But it is an interesting thing, that dynamic of the blue line. They are There's a big bet on Pullman. Because when Rutherford and Boudreaux, I almost want to say they – resign themselves to this is the blue line's not going to look any different. They, I'm sure yeah. they tried to address it, but they didn't. Then the pivot became, okay, do we start talking up Pullman as a guy that we think can play top four? And a, 
And part of that explanation was almost aided by the fact that they never really got to see what he was like last year because it yeah. was so marred by injury. So it's almost one of those things where it's like, well, we didn't get to see exactly what Pullman was last year, but we think, optimistically, he could be this. That's a big gamble to take because there's no real body of work that suggests he can be a full-fledged, bonafide top-four guy. It's going to fall into the wait-and-see category for us. David in North Van texts in with a question that I really like because I think it brings up a great debate. When the culture debate comes up, I notice that losing is used synonymously with poor culture in the room. You think it's possible. Do you think it's possible to have a good culture on a losing team? No. I think it's possible. I think it's really, 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 really hard, though. I don't. I think it's impossible. I don't think you can I, go and lose more games than you're winning and have a, a good feeling. What if you're a team that's growing and you know there will be losses, but you also see the potential in the team, so you sort of have this belief that yeah, it'll I, I disagree. get better? I disagree I with just, Halford. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I wouldn't use it. the word impossible. Yeah. I think you could have a bunch of guys that all do their jobs, even go the extra mile, and just aren't talented enough to get it done. But I think as it wears on, your ego – almost want tries to find a way out. Do you know what I mean? Because is there anything worse than trying really, really hard at something and repeatedly failing? Eventually, sometimes you try and convince yourself, ah, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't the Whatever. winning breed the culture, though, Jason? Once you have the winning, then the culture sorts, 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 falls into place. The chicken and egg the chicken thing. Chicken and yeah, egg thing. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, I, and, I've, and I've often said, like, the, the, best, the best start for a culture is at the beginning of the season – you walk into the room and you look around the room and you go, wow, we could be good here. Let's try and do something here. The issue I have with it and the reason I say no is because I think losing undermines everything you're trying to do. It's hard to have faith in anything yeah. if the end result is always a big, fat, red L at the end of the night. Right. It's like, we did all these things great. We listened to coach. We executed yeah. the game plan. And we lost 7-1. Like, it's, it's, it becomes yeah. one of those things where it's like, well, what are we even doing here? We must be doing something wrong. Let's switch it up. Right. And again. Let's get wasted. Yeah, exactly. All right. You know what? <laughs> Let's like, go out. We'll do a lot better tomorrow. But that's the thing is that when people say you got to stick to the process and coaches will come in, he's like a, lot of the thing, like, a lot of the things that we did tonight, it's because you almost have to take the end result out of the equation sometimes if you're going to believe in what some people consider crap. Some people think all this talk about culture and identity. It's like, you know what your culture is? If you win. Be good. Yeah, be good and win games. That's a good culture. You but know what I, a bad culture is? Lose. Lose hockey games. And it's that simple. But I fully disagree with that. Because I think you can have a talented group with a bad culture and you'll have a bad team. You can, I think that is fully yeah. possible to have a team on paper that should be good. They don't do the right things. It's like any company, mm -hmm. right? Any business. You can have a great business plan. You can have the people in place to execute that business plan. If none of them are working hard, if none of them are committed, if none of them are sacrificing for the group, then you're not going to have a business. Mm -hmm. uh, someone just texted. This is from Tyler. This is a fair point because I think this is the, 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 the type of team that we're talking about where they're right in that in-between part. Uh, Ottawa, Los Angeles, and the Detroit Red Wings could have good cultures, but they just need time to mature. That's what I'm saying. That's Great. Like, I understand that you need to go through a process. All I'm saying is that losing eats away. Losing just eats away at everything. It eats away at players' psyches, their desire well, to want to go and, and do things and be better because it's like, God, we're losing again. Guys, look what happened to the Canucks. Death uh, marches. I, I, I begin in January. I'm, I'm sure the organization thought, and I hoped at least at the time, 
when they were having their success in the bubble, I thought that was and hoped that was going to be a stepping stone. Yeah. Because I thought that in that bubble, even though some of the teams there didn't care as much as the Canucks, I thought the fact that the Canucks did care and the fact that they seemed to be coming together as a group Mm -hmm. was a sign of things to come, of good things, right? And we talked about, do you remember when, when, when Tanev scored in overtime? Uh, against the wild, eliminate the wild. Um, how happy the room was after. Yeah, they were going nuts. And like and it was like, this team is coming together. But then they started losing. And Tanev, and, and and, they, and Tanev left. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, they, and they, they lost some of those guys. up in the offseason. Yeah, and they lost. This team that had incredible chemistry. and they, then, they did have a good, good thing going. But I think what happened was those guys showed up the next season and they were like, yeah, this group doesn't look the same. Like, what, what's going on yeah, here? Splitting a, those guys up hurt them, and they never, they never were able to recover that good feeling. And the pandemic made things even worse with the All Canadian se- uh, Division season, which was just miserable. And that feeling, that that they, that feeling, carried over into the beginning of last season, and really. Um, didn't go away until there were some changes in the coaching department and the management department. And the hope this year is that they can build on what happened last season and bring that good feeling into this season. So kind of like an opposite of last season, they need to do it. And they did bring the band back. As a matter of fact, there were no major departures from last year. Anyway, we talk, it's funny when you look at it, we've talked about uh, the largely quiet off season and not the fundamental changes that we expected we've positioned it one way. The other way could be like, we think that there's something here. Let's go explore it and see if there's going to be even more. And then offering and issuing the challenges. That's where the internal improvement comes from. Every team needs it in an off season. What are you going to do to get better? What are you going to do to get better? We don't want you coming back as the exact same player with the exact same output and the exact same role. Yeah. Everyone's got to grow, right? Then you say, we've added Mikhaev. They're going to make us faster. Kuzmenko, who knows what he's going to bring. We brought in a fourth-line center that can kill penalties. So it's the two types of additions, and that's maybe where you get some positive vibes moving forward. But, again, all of it gets undermined if they go out on the road to start the season. <laughs> four or five. Yeah, right? totally. Right? All the great vibes of building up the, the preseason and the culture, that can go out the window real quick. But we had such a good training camp. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're passed, all together. Everyone passed the bike test. Why aren't we winning games? Like That's going to be a potential conversation because at the end of the day, all they care about is wins and losses. I yeah. know that there go a lot more goes into it, but if you talk to any head coach, it was funny. I was watching, but you believe in the idea of culture, right? I do, obviously, but I just think that it's it's so fragile, so fragile. Because a good I th- culture shouldn't be all that fragile, though. Yeah, I know, but in a, in a league where you're kind of defined by what's on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. that's it. It's it's, a, it, it's it's funny. We're getting a very existential conversation. But here. don't you think it's very the- cut and dry? When at the end of the night, what, who's done better? Like coaches can say we deserved a better result tonight, but you didn't. But don't, you didn't get it. <laughs> but don't you think that okay? You know how we've been waiting for teams like Pittsburgh and Washington and Boston to fall off for years now. Yep. Don't you think that part of the reason why they haven't is, first of all, they've got Hall of Fame players. You know, you've got Ovechkin in, in, in Washington, you know, Bergeron and, in, in Boston, et cetera, et cetera, like Sydney, Sydney Crosby in Pittsburgh. But don't you think part of it 
um, their success is that they do have that culture and there is a level of expectation. Yeah, and I also think uh, groups that have been together for a long time as well. But right? the There's but the group their identity the, is winning. But but the group has changed so much. Okay, the core parts of the group. So like Pittsburgh is the big three: Crosby, Lang, Malkin. Yeah, uh, Washington is Backstrom, Kuznets. I mean, to consider Kuznets off a culture care. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Ovechkin, the guy Carlson, yeah. John Carlson, yeah. right? And then um, you look at Boston, and it's Bergeron, Marshawn, and more recently Krejci and Winchar was there. But those are probably what we would consider the culture setters for those respective mm-hmm. groups, right? Everyone falls in but line. But that culture is set. That, that culture is passed on yeah. to to other guys. Sure. And, and that was that was the that what happened in Vancouver is the culture from the Sedins was not passed on. Well, look at San Jose. Had a great leadership group there for a while, right? They had three quality veteran guys in Marlowe, Pavelski, and Thornton, but there was never anyone to take the mantle from them. Like and was, there was losing though. Right. And there was kind of Logan Couture and then maybe Thomas Hurdle. And then the Evander Kane thing happened. It can it can go. It's funny, it could fall apart real quickly. Um, we got a big final hour here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. More Canucks talk to come with Thomas Drance from The Athletic. Uh, Drance was doing work up in Penticton. He talked to Ken Holland. He talked to Kevin Sheveldayoff. Of course, he did a lot of Canucks stuff as well. We can get into all that. And then at 8.30, uh, we're going to do some What We Learns. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. Hashtag it WWL. And uh, get into the Dunbar Lumber text line. At 650-650. One final thing before we go to break. I need to tell you that all of our Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black & Lee. Suiting up just got easier. For modern suit and tuck sales, fashionable menswear, and same-day rentals. Same-day rentals. Visit them online at blackandlee.com. Drance and what we learned. That's all coming up in the final hour of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.